The A-List is sponsored by Ad House Advertising School. You get 10 sessions with a working advertising professional for just 600 bucks. Dip your toe in the water and build your first book with freelance creative director Paul Fix. Learn unprofessional advertising from George Tannenbaum, former copy chief of Ogilvy, New York. Or learn to be a more strategic creative with strategic innovations expert Liz Grandillo. There's six classes to choose from, even one taught by little old me. Check it out at adhousenyc.com. There's only 14 people to a class, and they're filling up fast. So hurry, adhousenyc.com. And now, here's our show. Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, freelance creative and professor at Ad House Advertising School. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Derek Walker, owner of Brown & Browner Advertising in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're in advertising and on Twitter, you know Derek as the brash and opinionated voice that never lets the industry off the hook. He's been talking about diversity and the need for systemic change for a while now, but I wanted to get his origin story. And like the Japanese comic books he loves so much, it certainly is a strange and wild ride. You'll hear about growing up in Germany as the son of a U.S. Army drill sergeant and being turned away from a job he had all but landed on the phone because, quote, our clients aren't ready for a black copywriter. You'll also hear great tips like always read the employee manual and the fact that How to Win Friends and Influence People might just be the best book on marketing there is. One note, our conversation took place before the brutal filmed murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer, so we don't talk about it. Also, Derek was so kind and generous with his time that we talked for an hour and a half, so I got to practice my garage band editing skills, which they're getting pretty good, but you might hear some weird cuts. Oh, and I just got this sweet new microphone that you're hearing me on right now, but this interview happened before it arrived, so the sound is okay, but uh, now it's better. Okay, so uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mr. Derek Walker. Derek Walker, welcome to the A-List podcast. Thank you. So you've changed the A-List to C, sort of minus C, D-List? No, uh, I have been following you for for so long, and uh, always love what you say about advertising and and following you, and and just liking all your tweets and your um, and I've just I've always wanted to meet you. So this is a big this is a big honor for me. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, really, what you've been following is my descent into madness. <laughs> it's true. We were all you were ahead of the game there. Yes, you know, I'm like, oh, come on, let's let's just all come and embrace the chaos. It's true. Well, now now we all have to embrace the chaos, huh? Oh God, yes. And um, it's sort of funny how 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 hard it is for people who I thought would have it would have been natural for. You know, yeah. creators have been agency people have been begging for this for years, and it's like, so like, oh, we got it. <laughs> oh, I don't want this. <laughs> What have they been begging for? What do you mean? When, uh, Remote working? Yeah. 
I want to work from home. I want to work someplace other than here. Yeah. I don't want to be around these people. Wait, they're gone. Oh, crap. <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want this. <laughs> oh, you know, it's, like, it's like that genie in a bottle, right? You, you, you say what you want to the genie, and you always get it, but in a different way than you thought you'd get it. Exactly. You know, it's like, um, it, it, even in business, you know, people go, I want tons of sales. I'm working so hard. Well, that's tons of sales. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get with tons of sales. What we do on this show, uh, what I love to uh, do, and I'm trying to capture, I'm trying to capture all the origin stories of everybody. <laughs> so, oh. so where did you grow up, Derek Walker? This is, uh, this is like young Derek Walker. What, describe what that was like. My dad was, my dad's in the military. I was born on army base. Oh, really? On army base. So I was born in North Carolina on Fort Bragg. My brother and sister were born on Fort Benning. Wow. So we've lived on 13 bases and in Berlin. So it's sort of like when people say, where are you from? What year? <laughs> you know, what time? Um, <laughs> but my father ended up retiring here in Columbia, South Carolina huh. at Fort Jackson. So went to high school here. I hate them. I hate my parents. <laughs> that they made you go to high school here? Yes. They retired because I was getting ready to get into high school. Yeah. And the Army wanted to send it back to Germany. Mm. I had my bags packed. You were ready. Oh, I'm ready. How long Let's were you go. in Germany the first time? Three years. And you were how old? Oh, I was young. But um, I was, I think it was five, six, seven but I, you got to remember that means I was at, I was in kindergarten. Yeah, and that so German I, word kindergarten. Yes, yeah. and so I was having the time of my life, and you know, I I I learned English and German at the same time, sort of, and then I lost the German because we moved to Texas right after <laughs> after yeah. Berlin. So Not a lot of German spoken in Texas at the time. Not a lot of English spoken in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> like, mom, what language are they talking? But um. So they retired so that I wouldn't have to do high school in Germany because they wanted me to do college in the United States and didn't know how that was going to work out. Huh. And he had enough years he could retire. So I went to the university. First, I went to a small private school in North Carolina because just stupid. And um, <laughs> found out it was a religious school with way more rules than I thought my parents ever had. And I went, oh, you know, <laughs> Like the prodigal son, you go, hey, it's bad at home. It's better at home than here. I can go home. <laughs> so I came back to the University of South Carolina and majored in journalism. Why'd you, and they have why, why'd you pick journalism? They have an advertising track. Oh. So they have advertising PR under journalism. Yeah. At, so, now, what year is this? This is in the early 80s, late 70s? Mid-80s. Um, I got out in 86. Oh, right. Okay. I went there from 83 to 86. Okay. <laughs> Now, um, back then, the university had some really great instructors, a lot of old Leo Burnett people. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, oh, what was Goodrich's first name? I forgot. Professor Goodrich was a Leo Burnetter. Goodrich. He was also a friend to Hugh Hefner. <laughs> so <laughs> he, had these, he had these hilarious Hugh Hefner stories. Oh, my God. Which I don't believe you could tell in this day and age. They, they were good back then. He he was. This is how old he was. He was actually one of Hugh Hefner's friends that 
he went to to borrow money for Playboy. Oh my God. And he turned him down. <laughs> but um, so there was also a gentleman, Ralph Morgan, who taught media buying and planning. And for some strange reason, they took a liking to some scrawny little black kid from Columbia, South Carolina, who had more mouth than anything. Is that right? And you you were even then you were outspoken and you were uh, you were just saying it like it is. No filter whatsoever. This is pure. This has always been me. Where does that come from? Is that your dad? Is that is that uh, just something that be, being a, a were you the youngest or I'm the youngest? Oh, okay, so maybe that's it. I don't know where it comes from. I think partly my mom and my dad. Okay. My mom will tell you in a heartbeat, but my dad, being a drill instructor, he, th there were no pretty words in there. You know, he was the like, he was the what, Lewis Gossett Jr. Uh, character. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so, you know, it's so like when I when I get injured when I got injured playing running track, he looked down at my leg and goes, "It's bad." <laughs> That's it. <laughs> not gonna be okay yeah no no we'll get you know and he's like we're gonna take you to the hospital the doctors will fix you but it's bad <laughs> thank you cheerleader see my mom wasn't at that track meet if she had been there it would have been a little bit softer yeah yeah, yeah. so um ralph morgan when i got ready to graduate hooked me up with this gentleman ken bowes in Atlanta, who owned Bose Handling, and they were in they were in Buckhead near Lenox Mall. I don't know if I'm I'm giving because it's important. They um and they had just sold the Ketchum, so they're in that transition of of getting the founders out and Ketchum taking over. And so Ken Bose gave me ten names to interview with as a graduating senior from the University of South Carolina. Oh wow. And I called all 10 names. And I, oddly enough, I got nine interviews. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm a college senior. I, I pretty much understand how some of the business works. These nine people were all CEOs. Wow. Of agencies in Atlanta. And Ken had hyped me up because he had seen my little student book. And yeah. he was like, yeah, it could be better. And he introduced me to Neil... Casey, not Neil Casey, I'm sorry. I can't believe I, Norm Gray. Norm Gray. Introduced me to Norm Gray, who ran the Creative Circus Portfolio Center. Yeah. And he said, you know, you need a more polished book, but there's some great ideas here. So why don't you go to the Portfolio Center? Yeah. And I said, um, I'm sorry, I'm not rich. That was like $5,000 a quarter. Yeah. Oh, I can't go back to my parents and tell them that a, a four-year educa college education is not worth it. It, it didn't do it. Yeah. And I need two years at $5,000 a semester, a quarter. Yeah. So I went on the, ten the nine interviews and discovered I was black. <laughs> is that, that was the first indication, huh? <laughs> a special kind, yes, apparently. What, what, what do you mean you discovered you were black? What was it? Um, the reaction to this black kid walking in with this giant portfolio case in a suit. Yeah. And they had been talking to me forever and they were like, you're Derek? Why, yes, I am. 
And um, I tell the story and I still won't name him because he still works at an agency. Yeah. He owns an agency. The shortest interview of my life, I show up in an agency off of Buckhead and um, the receptionist, I walk in and she looks at me, she goes, can I help you? And I'm like, hello, Susan. Well, that's not a real name. And she looks at me she, and she recognizes the voice and she goes, Derek? And she and I had had these lovely conversations about where we, where the CEO was going to take me to lunch and show me around and all of this. Yeah. And she looked at me and she goes, you're there. Yes, ma'am. And she said, hold on a second. She gets up from the receptionist area, <laughs> jogs back to the back of the agency. The phone's <laughs> ringing. And I didn't think anything of it. And so she jogs back and then she comes back with the CEO. And he reaches, extends his hand, and he goes, hello, Derek. And we shake hands. He goes, I'm sorry, but I don't think our clients are ready for a black copyright. Wow. He said that. And that was the end of my interview. Holy shit. <laughs> That's against <laughs> the law. Um, and I sat there. You know, if you don't, you, you don't, everybody goes, I would have done this. And I, yeah. the shock of it. No. It's, the, just the, the straight honesty of it. I went. Oh, okay. And I turned around and walked out and I got in my car and I'm sitting in the parking garage and it hit me. And oh boy, I was just livid. Yeah. And, and I, get in, I drive over to Ken's shop and I tell him what happens and he gets irate. Yeah. He's like, let me call that son of a... I'm, no, 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 because just like you know everybody, he knows everybody. Yeah. And I got to get a job in this. And... To Kimbo's, Kimbo's has been my mentor and helper forever. So we settled, I settled down, he settled down. I drove back to South Carolina. I drove four hours for that. God. And um, so I moved to Atlanta anyway, without a job. Yeah. And this company called Toys R Us hired me. Oh, really? Yes. And they were like, okay. And they hired me as a store manager. Okay. And it was so funny because I was in my orientation for my store manager and the, the marketing director came in and talked about how they market and everything. And I started asking questions. And after the meeting, he pulls me aside. He goes, do your three months at the store and then come to work for me in New Jersey in my marketing department. Oh, wow. What were the and questions you asked? Do you remember what, what you sort of, how you... Caught his attention? Did you know that you were going to get that? No, it was just some curious questions about how they advertised and why. Yeah. You know, um, why the store was designed the way the store was designed. Yeah. Because it's, if you didn't know, infants are the first section of an old Toys R Us store. Yeah. Then it goes by ages. Right. So it's from zero to like four. And then five to like eight. And then the, 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 the and I was like, well, why'd you do it like that? It's like, because grandparents shop. And they were like, okay, we're a toy store for parents, but we really are for grandparents. And I was like, really? Why grandparents? You know, everybody else just took him on his word. Mm. He's like, so when a grandparent shops for a teenager or a preteen, they're in a, a higher price range and they're in the back of the store. So they've passed all this other stuff for the young kids and, and if they have young grandchildren, we get them for everything. Right. And, 
and there was just a flaw, there was a theory, a strategy behind it. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so why do this? And, you know, it was just like, it yeah. was more like a conversation. So I'm like, you guys thought this thing through? <laughs> you know, I just thought stores were grown together, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. And there, it, so we go back and forth. And um, I worked, and this is just the folly of youth. I, I, my first month in, they figured out I run stores pretty well. And um, it became a, a nine-month battle between corporate and, and the stores as to where I was going to be. And I ended up with a very bad supervisor. And I, I admit testosterone played a part in this. And I went, you know what? I quit. I can find another company that's just as much fun and, and does all of this and has these great benefits. No, 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 no. So you quit on a whim? You just said, I'm, I'm out of here? The, yeah, the person tried to cancel my honeymoon that time. Ah. And I, I, I knew I was getting, we knew we, we had already set the date. So yeah, I put this in like months ahead of time. Yeah. And I, we avoided the Christmas rush. So I was like, oh, no, no, you don't get it. <laughs> I've spent my money on vacation. Like, well, you just go, and it was, it got to be, and it was one of those things I needed to learn about me is I don't back down from, and so it was like, really? Yeah. And there was another route I could have taken. What, what do you wish you had done? I wish I had gone to HR. Yeah. And said and explained explained it out because when I quit, I went to HR and explained it. Yeah. But I had already quit. Yeah. And she looked at me and she goes, Why didn't you tell me this? And I was like, Well, this person's been treating me so badly. And I'm and she goes, and this is the first I'm hearing of. Yeah. You know, because you know, deep down, sometimes you're taught that you're you're your your fr your first job out of college, you're supposed to take all of this. This is just how the working world works. Yeah. Know that policy manual is there for a reason. Mm. So read the policy manual. Read it, learn it, know what your rights are and, and everything. Yeah. Because all of this could have been avoided if I had followed the manual. Yeah. And there's some protections in there for employees and there's some protections for the job, the, the, the business, of course. Yeah. But what happens is we when we do that onboarding, we do it so quick. And it, I'm like, no, 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 no. I need uh -huh. you to read this manual. No, that first week at your first job is like, you get all these papers, you get all these binders. You're, you're so nervous about actually doing your job that you're, you know, you're just like, ah, I'll read that later, yeah. you know? Um, so I left Toys R Us and went to Pizza Hut. A friend of mine worked for Pizza Hut. And he was having the time of his life because he's a numbers guy. And he's like, yeah, I run a store, but I get pulled into these other units to, to work on the numbers. Mm. And he knows I'm not a numbers person. Right. And he goes, well, why don't you come work with me? He said, because you know I'm not really a people person as far as managing people. You can do that, and I can do this. So I teamed up with him, and we ended up being fixers. What do you mean? For, we'd go around and fix pizza huts. Oh, wow. So if your store was in trouble, we showed up. Yeah. And um, that was, and this is why I blinked and nine years went by. 
what is just the, like what, what what why were you so good at managing people do you think I, well first i think it's who raised me yeah. <laughs> um my parents my parents didn't have one role but my mom's compassion i grew up and go who's this kid in the house we got three kids why are there two other kids in the house eating <laughs> And is that my macaroni and cheese they're eating? Well, you know, they don't have it as good as we do, so we're going to take care of them for a bit. Okay. But I need some macaroni and cheese. <laughs> my father was a drill instructor yeah. in the old world. Yeah. Recruits had to learn how to write letters home. They had to manage the bank accounts. They had to do, you know. So they were taking and preparing them for adulthood. Wow. And his... I, I, you know, I guess by osmosis, it rubbed off some of that detail. Yeah. You know, and he cared about them as much as you can for, for, for basic training, but you care about them. They become yours for a while. Yeah. So I think part of that's ingrained. But then I stumbled onto some great courses at the university by accident, yeah. just purely. Um, there was a personal sales course. And the textbook for the personal sales course was... Um, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Right. And that was our textbook. Wow. <laughs> and you had to actually sell to people. I, you had to actually I think that book should still be required reading for everybody in college, right? Yeah. It, is, it teaches you how to be a human. Like when Exactly. My favorite one is, is the personal part. When he would look at the picture on the desk, look at the pictures on the desk, because... What we don't do is we don't we we keep it business. I'm here to talk about business, just business. Right. But this is a human being. Yeah. So, so there's a comment. You know, it's like, oh, your son plays soccer. My boys didn't. My boys suck at soccer. They did taekwondo. Right. There's a conversation now between fathers or, or parents. Yeah. I, I, I'm one of the strange people in advertising. I think I don't believe in business, business, and business to consume. Right. I believe the final decision is still made by a human being. And there's some motivation for that human being. Yep. And I put that back on Dale Carnegie. And that was all it was. It was selling. The final exam was two parts. You would be a seller and he would assign something and you'd had to sell it. And then you had to flip and you had to be a, a purchaser and you couldn't be an, an easy sell. So you had to make the person work for it. And I remember I sold, I had to sell Amazonian history books on the tribes of the Amazon to a chief who didn't read or write and would never read or write. <laughs> you know, I did pretty good. I'm proud of myself. I sold it on the idea of status. Look, chief, your, your tribe is in this book. See the pictures? And think about the status of you being able to show all the other tribes that you are in this, that you guys are, and, you know, I, I blank on it. It's been 30 years, but that was, that was the gist of it. And it, we went, and the young lady that was my buyer was tough. I mean, she, she it, uh, you know, it's like, I, and she was like, I don't care about status. But think about what it means when, when it comes time to trade, you know? Yeah. And all of this. And I mean, we, and we, I don't, I closed the sale, but I don't know how. <laughs> I was just like, it's like, oh my God. And I looked at it afterwards and I went, thank you. If you, if I put up a bookshelf, it would be nothing but comic books for me. 
I heard that about you. I, I was reading an article where you had like comic books in bags on your wall, like you'd pin them to yeah. your wall. DC, Marvel, The Independence, yeah. any of them. Um, I was stuck on the strangest, the strangest comic book I've ever read, I think, is Way of the Rat. Way it was a legit, it was a Chinese, it was a Japanese comic book about a, a samurai rat. And not a not a big rat, right. a little rat. And it was just like a normal rat, but he was a samurai. Yeah, and that, that book ran maybe five or it may be about ten or twelve episode issues before it went away. Yeah. Um um, do you think that that is part of your, uh, was comic books a thing that sort of kept you when you were moving from place to place when you were young, kind of Oh, yeah. Focused? We read. Yeah. We just read. Yeah. Um, and I think we were all, the difference was there was less, think about our time, I mean, I was born in the 60s, raised in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. How much media was there for us to consume? We, I can, we can still remember when the TV went on. Yeah. And I get on the young people about this that I work with or I come across. I'm like, you have the access to so much information yeah. that we never had. Yeah. Um, so we should get to your 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 advertising. When when did you get into an ad agency? When, what was the... So I was at Pizza Hut and one of our drivers, we were turning around the store in Buckhead. Okay. And um, one of the drivers came to me and he said, D, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to quit. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, I got a job at Crispin Porter in Florida. And I said, oh, really? So I knew he had been going to the Portfolio Center, which was right around the corner. I was like, so Sean, bring me, um, bring me your black and white so I can see him. And I was sitting, this is 93, and I'm sitting in the house looking at his black and whites, and my wife walks by, and she goes, what are those? And I tell her the story, and she goes, she looks at him, and she goes, your work's better than that. When are you going to the Portfolio Center? Next day, I drove up, filled out the paperwork. Really? Yeah. I had gotten so caught up in just making a living. Yeah. And the joy was Pizza Hut covered a portion of that. Oh, Once again, wow. read that policy, man. Ah. Because marketing is one of the departments they have. So if it falls under one of the departments, they'll cover a portion of the cost. So I did that and um, Ken Bowes, of course, was mentoring me and looking at my book and he was, he talked to Norm Gray at the Portfolio Center and he called me one day and I had that big answering machine with those buttons you had to push. Yeah. There's a message on there from this guy named Paul Council, but it sounds like Ken Bowes. <laughs> Because he has this graphic list. I said, okay. And it left me a number that I didn't recognize. And I went in. We went to the library. Because this is still the early night. Yeah. Went to the library. And we're looking through the big red book of advertising agencies. That was the book. The big red book of advertising. It was literally. The, it was called the big red book of advertising agencies. Yes. Yep. And I'm at Kramer and Crassel. I see Milwaukee. I see Phoenix and Chicago and Tampa Bay. Tampa. And I'm reading through all the creative departments for Paul Council. My kid's jerking me around, Michelle. There's no Paul Council here. And you gotta love them, but you gotta love women. She goes, did you start at the top? No. 
and I go all the way to the top of the CEO president, Paul Council. Wow. So, of course, I call him back. And they flew me up. And um, that interview led to me being there working on Wausau, Sub-Zero Refrigerators, Case Construction, Allen Edmonds Shoes, Johnson, a Little Johnson Controls, some Beatrice Cheese, Appleton Paper. And it was just, and Kramer Crassel was a great agency to start at. Yeah, why was it great? They had been independent already in the 90s for almost 100 years. Wow. And they still are today. Um, when I got there, they had had agent, they had had clients for over 20 years. And Paul might not remember this, but on Fridays, we would go play basketball as an agency. Yeah. Outdoors, when you could in Milwaukee. <laughs> but Paul, we'd be out there playing and we'd look over and Paul's walking down to lunch with the CEO of Johnson Controls or Wausau or Master Lock or Briggs and Stratton. Sometimes all, some of them together as a pack. And that clicked on me. I mean, I, so let me back up. When you first got hired, he said he would invite you in his office and say, what's your five-year plan? And my five-year plan was, I want to own an ad agency. He said, okay, fine. So you're going to have to do, you're going to do all your work. But when I call you, you're going to have to attend these meetings and you're going to shadow me. So um, I was in finance meetings and personnel meetings and all agency meetings. You know, you're sitting there going, okay, I'm way above my pay grade now. And um, that was, but he set me up he, to do those things. He was like, this is, what a city, this is what the owner of an ad agency does. Yeah. And what, what did you learn in that, in, that, in that point? Like what, if you could boil it down to what you didn't know and then what you knew after that? He defined, it's, I think I, I knew it, but I didn't know it was possible that you determine how people treat you. Mm. Even when they treat you bad, mm. you determine how they treat you. Not, um, not as much as the initial way they treat you, but how you respond to it. Mm. He, um, was, he was playing chess while the, the rest of the people were playing tic-tac-toe. They weren't even playing checkers. Mm. We had a meeting with a client and I'll leave the name off. And they were upset that they hadn't seen great work from us while we were winning awards on other accounts. And that's a legitimate, a legitimate complaint. Yeah. So we're in the meeting and Paul walked before the meeting, two days before the meeting, Paul goes, I want, he comes down to the creative department and goes, I want you guys to bring every rough that you've ever presented. I want all of the work you've ever presented on this account and you bring it with you. So the CEO's in there, he's yelling and screaming about, why can't we get great work? Why don't we? And the, C the CMO is sitting there silent as can be. And Paul turns to the art directors and goes, put it in on the tape. And they just lay out this whole body of cool work for the client. Mm -hmm. And the client's like, I never saw any of this. And Paul says, in the corner, you see the stamp that shows that we sent it to you. That was when uh, people would sign, literally sign things. Yes. Uh, we don't do that anymore, huh? No. Well, you, you, you do for me. <laughs> and he says, look, we sent it to your marketing people. 
They sent it back to us saying, you did not like this. He says, part of this is your people have to show you the work and not be afraid to show you. And he, I mean, it was one of those meetings you're sitting there going in front of the entire team. He's telling the client. Yeah. He says, so why are your people afraid to show you great work? Yeah. That's something you need to work out with your team. Huh. But it, it takes that pressure off of us. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you walk out of that meeting going, hey, we're not hats. <laughs> <laughs> and and our boss is on our side. He's not just yes. he's not just interested in in selling the client whatever he needs to sell him. He he really wants to do great work too. And there there were two instances of this. So the second one we drove it home. We're in the meeting and the the um, marketing director tells Paul, well, you work for me. And, the, and Paul looks at him and he's always calm. He goes, this meeting, I'm done. And he gets up and he walks out. And like three minutes later, he comes back. He goes, I am the CEO of Kramer Press. You and I are, are equal as human beings, but we are not equal as titles. And the phone rings in the conference room. He goes, that's for you. <laughs> <laughs> and one of those CEOs he was always going to lunch with calls in on that. Oh, wow. And the, guy, the guy's on the phone. Yes, sir. Yes, I understand. And, thank you. and he hangs up and he, goes, and he apologizes <laughs> wow. to Paul in front of everybody. I'm sorry. I've, I didn't understand that we are a partnership. And I'm, I, we don't, you don't work for us. You work with us. And that word stuck with me. You, we work with you. Yeah. See, half of the crap that ad agencies get today is because nobody reminds them nobody that we work back. with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, what, the thing about it, he didn't fight back in a nasty way. He just went, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm done talking to you. And so afterwards, I'm sitting there with Paul. And he goes, you gotta understand, if you run an agency, you are a CEO. You're a, you're the boss. So if you allow someone with a lesser title than you to dictate how you're gonna run your business, then you're not the boss. Wow. And I was sitting there going, okay, all right, I'll remember that one. Yeah. And the sad part is that then I okay, I went to Falgren. I went to Tim and McLean. Yeah. Falgren in Columbus, Ohio had all of, well, they had the majority of the McDonald's franchises. We had like three, 400 McDonald's franchises in our, in our thing. Um, left there and went to Tim and McLean where I worked on Subaru and um, Syntex Homes, Hollywood Theaters, Nationwide Insurance. Left. Timberland went to Shia Day, TBWA Shia. Yeah. On Nissan. That was and, in uh, LA, Irvine? Oh, no. I was not fortunate enough. I was stuck in Las Colinas, Texas, in the regional office. Okay. And I would have been content to stay there because we could do great work from there. But they sold the regional Nissan business to Zimmerman. Okay. And I ended up, went to Barry Brown where I learned another valuable lesson because that was the agency, that was an agency where COO sort of took some money and ended up killing the agency. Yeah. And, and um, then himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy story. Um, 
but by then I had left there and I was at uh, Radio Shack and I worked in-house at Radio Shack. So you were like on the, uh, you started on the client side, you went over to the agency. Did you move when you went to Kramer Kressel? Did you move to Minneapolis with your family? I moved to Wisconsin, Milwaukee. With your wife? Yes. Uh, what was that like moving from Atlanta to Milwaukee? Very different places. Yes, it was. Um, it wasn't as bad as it was like an adventure for us. We had we had one a one year old, and we had another baby on the way. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I mean, it, it was. Um, and you're changing careers. Yeah. Oh and goodness! Look, you can only do it with the right part. Yeah, she sounds like she's great. Like she told so, you, she told you to go into like do go to school, go back to school. Yeah. She, and I needed that permission because she knew I would keep on working. Yeah. Because life had gotten, you know, I wasn't gonna make that Toys R Us mistake again. I'm not quitting on a whim. Yeah. And um, so she got me. We, I mean, moving like that wasn't hard because I'm a military fan. Right. Yeah. It seems like you were like, well, that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. So the moves weren't hard until the, the, until the boys got older and then you start going, Oh, I don't want to move. And then I understood my parents. So I left Radio Shack and went to IMC square, which was a digital. And I really want to learn digital. Yeah. That's when we were all like, I need digital. I need digital. Now I feel yeah. like it's like, that was, it was kind of a oh that was crap it was kind of a huge mistake that we were, all, we were all on the wrong we were on the wrong path and and it was wrong because it it taught the world through our actions that there was a delineation between regular advertising yeah. and digital and it has caused digital to suffer ever since um now that I, I, I'm amazed, and I'm sorry for going on a tangent, but nope. it bothers me that these digital people, digital talent, don't understand art direction, right? Or copywriting, and um, they got away with it for so long. We don't have Brown and Browner doesn't have a website. The reason we don't have a website is because I can't make enough money. <laughs> so I was sitting at a pub with, and when I was at IMC Square with a couple of programmers and art directors, and they were fairly good to go. They were drunk. I'm designated driver. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, how much more is? And I don't think he remembers this, but I'm going to use his name. Cody Watson turns to me and he's had a couple of beers. And he goes, you know who the laziest blank, blank employee you have is? I know who Cody, who is it? He goes, your website. And without skipping a beat, Monty Brown Another beautiful art director, he chimes in, yeah, they do so little. The potential's wasted. And they go for like 30 or 40 minutes on how everybody's doing websites wrong. And I'm sitting there as the sober guy going, do tell, continue on. Yeah. And they're like, well, see, we keep going. He goes, and they're talking about agency websites. And they go, after the first visit, if you read every page, why would you ever have to go back? And I guess for my face, it was like, holy crap, that's brilliant. Yeah. And he's like, this is the problem with all the websites. Yeah. There's no reason to return to them ever. Yeah. Well, 
and it's just been magnified with social media. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I wrote all this. I mentally took that note. And I was like, okay, all right. So I come to them every now and then. I go, I want to build a website, but I want to build it different. I want to build a website where we can talk about advertising. Yeah. He's, there's no, you know, he's like, I mean, in his tangent, they were going. And these two guys are really sharp. Yeah. So in their tangent, they're going, think about it. Every website has about us, our work, our 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 um, proprietary process, you know, our client list. He said, and and Monty said something that just stuck with me, and I give him credit. And this is only to make his head bigger, but the God, his head is huge already. He leans in and he goes, "What if the website is our work? What if it's an example of how?" Freaking, he didn't say freaking, how freaking good we are. That we can keep you on our website. And he goes, you know, the average is five, six minutes. I want to keep you on the website for an hour. And I'm looking at him, I go, you couldn't keep anybody on the website for an hour. And that's when his ego kicks in. Oh, yes, I can. Because I wouldn't do this or that and that. What we would do is we would let people show, I'm so good, I'd let you show other people's work on my website. And let's talk about why that work is good. He says, I'm gonna tell the clients why I'm worth what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna talk about pay and all of this. And I'm sitting there going, okay, uh keep talking. So when you're sober, you're gonna build me this way. (laughs) (laughs) So, Fast forward, and I, I started the agency, and I said, okay, you too. I want this website. And they look at me and laugh. <laughs> you don't have enough money for this, man. <laughs> and I'm, so, and I'm, I'm once, once again old school. If a client came to you and said, I want to do TV, but I really can't do anything that's really good, what would we tell them? Don't do TV. Yeah. You don't have the money for it, or you don't have the yeah. bit, or you don't have the time. Yeah. yeah, if you can't build what you need to build, don't do it. Yep. And I repeatedly remind myself the advice we give clients yeah. is the advice we should take. Yes. So I went, okay, I can wait then. Because if I can't, because as websites are now, yeah, the old, yeah. The, the stuff we're using now, yeah, nobody is getting a client based on those websites. No. So what good are they? And they're, well, I think they're, they're, they're proof of life. knowing that you're there. Yeah. Proof of life. Yes. They are proof of life. Yeah. But, but can you do that with social media? Yes. And you do it better. Yes. Um, it's better to have a LinkedIn presence probably than it is to, to have a website. As an it's, it's better to have a Twitter presence or an Instagram presence. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of doing business on Facebook. Too many friends and family. Oh, yeah. Facebook, uh, no, Facebook I've given up on. But now bear this out. What brand do you really love on Twitter? Uh, RGA. I love RGA's uh, stuff. No, I'm saying uh, it, brand it brand? could be any company. Uh, do I really? Oreos. Yeah. Um, Oreos. What's it? Oreos, Burger King, Arby's. You know, those ones that we celebrate for being snappy and smart, Wendy's. Right, right. The disconnect is we've trained them to be funny and, rele- and irrelevant and all of this on, on, on social media. Yeah. But if you drive them from social media to your website, the website drops that ball. Yeah. 
that voice isn't there on the website. Right, exactly. So for, even for our clients, we, we serve them badly because people go, oh, but the websites are for investors. <laughs> well, investors are human beings, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. These web, we got lazy on the websites, but we've invested money in them. Yeah. So why wouldn't I come, why wouldn't the same tone that all these social media companies that are doing so well have these companies on social media have, why wouldn't that same tone be on our website? Yeah. And think about all the fun you could have there. Yeah. Well, it, um, it strikes me that like, it's more because websites, the, the sort of brochure wear of websites, the 1.0 there uh, that people still do uh, and agencies mm-hmm. still do, like you said, uh, is not the way. And your website has to be a stream of all your stuff, right? Shouldn't it be yeah. a, a place where all, you, your Twitter feed is there and your Instagram feed is there. But if, you, but if your Twitter and your Instagram sound entirely different, it's like you're talking to two different people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's Arby's is one of the few that brings the, that whole, we have the meats over uh-huh. into the website. Yeah, yeah. But they don't do enough of it. Yeah. They just, the headline. So as an, as an advertising guy trained in, the, trained in the 80s, raised in the 90s, I'm sitting there going, why don't they all connect? Yeah. You know, how do I capture my persona on Twitter and LinkedIn on the website for Brown and Brown? Yeah. What would that look like? And would that look like about us, our work, our proprietary process, our client list? No. So I've got to figure, and that's what we're working on as far as doing it, because then when I tell somebody something, when I tell a client that, then the client can go to the website and go, oh, I get it. Now I get it. Yeah. So once we figure that out, then we can, then we can teach clients how to do it. <laughs> but we got, here's the thing. We, I'm disappointed in us yeah. as an industry because how many CEOs are on Twitter and, and LinkedIn engaging people and they don't understand that. Yeah, Rob this Schwartz. Rob Schwartz is it, right? <laughs> yeah. Poor Rob is carrying the banner for everybody. There you go. <laughs> who else do you follow? It. Who else do you follow on? Who should who should the students of Ad Ad House uh, Advertising School? I'm gonna get I'm gonna get selfish for a second for my students. How, how, who should they follow on on Twitter? Oh, let me go to Twitter and look. <laughs> who are your Who are your faves to, in in advertising or in or in business and communication? Mark Pollard, he is a brilliant one. Yeah. Um, David Moore out of Nebraska, Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, God, he's going to kill me for not knowing where he's from. <laughs> but he is the only person posting. He posts all the old ads of advertising agencies advertising themselves. Oh, yes. I love it. I love <laughs> it. And, and that, that's uh, to your to, – I connect that to your thing about websites. Is like – yeah. Advertising agencies used to put out content uh, that would be interesting to read. But that's what we need to do. Yeah. Because think about all the different perceptions of us. We walk into agencies and we're learning this with being at home. Yeah. We don't have to look busy anymore. <laughs> hey, we work, we work. Um, hey. Uh, yeah. There could be some funny videos. If you're creative, if you're really a creative agency, why can't you make creative stuff for yourself? 
so hard, isn't it? It's like the hardest part. It isn't if you if you let the creatives go. If you just we're afraid, yeah. We're afraid of looking human. There's um I did the um isolated talk. Right. Yeah, yeah. That those I have to look at those. Those are cool. And somebody called it raw. And I'm like, I was just me. You know? Yeah. So when did when did just being yourself become raw? Authentic, raw, yeah. You're not you're you know, you're obviously not part of a holding company, so you're raw. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all about to be raw. And and I, I sort of I, I, part of me was sort of offended because it's sort of like, well, raw is unfinished. And I don't think I'm unfinished. I just think I'm not gonna play the game anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm not pretentious about anything. Right. I show up how I show up. When did we get to the point where ad people had to be refined? Do you not know who we are? <laughs> we used to barely, you know, but part of me was like, well, shouldn't more of us be raw? But uh, that was me. So I, um, I left, I'll give you the end of my journey. Yeah. I, I was sitting at IMC Square in this meeting. <laughs> and once again, read the policy man. <laughs> and they were talking about we weren't profitable enough. So we were going to have to lay people off. I'm like, I raise my hand and I go, okay, before I ask this question, I want to be clear. We have a no retaliation pro policy for individuals who ask who, or when somebody says something. So if I say something and I'm not derogatory or demeaning or insulting, I shouldn't be retaliated against, correct? Of course, no, we always don't answer. So, and I started rattling off, well, before we reduce staff, why don't we cut pay? Why don't we freeze bonuses? And they went, we don't have, no, don't tell us we don't have bonuses. All of us have gone out with the county. We know that 13 leaders of the council get bonuses, whatever. I was like, okay, did you ask employees to take a pay cut so that we could all garner around? And you said it was profit. You didn't say it was net. Profit is the extra. Since we don't get bonuses, profit shouldn't matter. If we're meeting, are we meeting our numbers? Yeah. If, if we're meeting our numbers, then why are we laying people off? Yeah. So I'm walking back to my office and the HR director comes up to me and he grabs my arm and he goes, you do know now. I have to advise them that you can't be laid off. Why? He says, because we have a rule against retaliation against employees for, for speaking their mind. And he looks at me, oh, I didn't, I can imagine that. And this went on. <laughs> a part of it was being true and honest. I honestly thought, you know, you can cut other things before you cut people. Yeah. Yes, but it was just so funny and it, it played out. It took them about almost a year to get rid of me after that. Because I, I was like, okay, all right. I know the rules now. And the, the sad part is, is how slow management was. It took you almost a year to figure out, well, we just won't have questions. Answer the question. And once it, it always comes back to this simple thing. Read the manual. Yeah, that's brilliant. And then after that, you decided, I'm just going to start my own thing. Yeah, it gave me a little time. Yeah. I, it accelerated my plan because I told my, I, I, this is my flaw. If I'm working for you, I'm working for you. 
So I wasn't working on my agency because I was working for them. Yeah, it's so hard to do to do both, you know. And I, I yeah. think we're all finding that now in this quarantine life. Mm-hmm. Do to do your stuff and do your work stuff, and especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing, you know, maybe several different things. Getting it all done is is so hard. And agencies are really hard because people don't understand. I wouldn't be on social media if I didn't think it was new business. Right. I don't want to be on social media. I got an advertising to be behind the camera, behind the curtain. Um, but I have to be on social media and I have to be out there because how else am I going to get new clients? Because I, I'm not connected. And I'm not the, I'm not the, the end person. Yeah. So how do you do this if you don't take advantage of the tool? Yeah. So how do clients who maybe want to hire you, who want to hire Brown and Browner, uh, mm-hmm. to do their advertising how do they if you don't have a website what how can they look at your work and and see what you do and and uh and maybe i'm not even showing them the work we're having a conversation about that yeah and they say, well, where do i see the work i'm like what would you want to see what we have created for somebody else exists in a certain time and place yeah and i'm not being flippant about it i'm saying unless you are willing to be that client with that budget mm with those people mm. in that situation. Right. I'm not going to duplicate that for you. And even more importantly, as a creative, I don't want to do that crap. Yeah, I don't I've, I've climbed that mountain. Yeah. So why would I want to do those ideas for you? Right. You're talking to me because I have said something that piqued your interest. Yeah. So let's continue to talk about it. Now, how I see advertising, I'll show you what we've done. But I want to frame it in the sense that you're not going to like some of the work and you're going to love some of the work, but none of that work can be yours. You know, do I understand your business? Do I understand the people who, who shop with you or, or buy from you or contract with you? Yeah. Can I, can I make that connection? Can I convey your message? Right. More importantly, am I going to stop you from doing harm? In this day and age with so many channels, it's important for us to say, you know, you might not want to do that. Yeah. And this is really what you're coming to an agency for. You're not coming to an agency. Yeah, you're coming to them for advertising, but what you're really coming for is advice. Right. And counsel. Yes. We are your attorney to the, in the court of public opinion. That's great. So I'm not going to try this case the way I tried the last case, because guess what? The jury, the judge, and the prosecution have figured out that case. I think we show our work too easy. I think it kills our students because too many people assume they know the students by the work. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. So they don't get interviews. So I tell young people, show three or four pieces. If you want to see more work, it comes with an interview. That personal sales course taught me that I needed to be selling. Yeah. Even when I don't want to be. Right. So I love when somebody gets an interview and lights up. Yes. You know, take a sales course. That's, I mean, dear God, take, take one or two. Because that same person, when they, and it's also why I enjoy passionate people. 
passionate art directors and copywriters are beasts when they present their work yeah. and they believe in it. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing, you know, it's like they'll, they'll take the rejection. Yeah. They'll give you crap work afterwards. But with that, that piece of work they believed in is, is going to get presented in the most beautiful way because they believe in it. Yeah. And I miss that. Yeah. So uh, how do people reach out to you? Like how do students uh, that want to like, they could follow you on Twitter at? At Derek L. Walker. We didn't get into so many things. I'd love to have you back uh, and, and sure. again. But uh, hey, keep me focused then. What's that? Keep me focused. Oh, yeah. Well, we're both, we're bo- we both have problems with that. Yes, sir. But I appreciate you inviting me to do this. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't wait to hear uh, how your journey. And, and it's, uh, it's a really interesting one from, uh, from your, your time at, at, at Pizza Hut um, on the client side to, to being at all those ad agencies and now doing your own thing. So that's great. Okay. This one you can't use. Okay. But I'll we'll cut. Thanks for being on, Derek. Thank you. <laughs> I'll stop recording. How about that? What? I had to cut off the mics. I'm so sorry. I can't tell that last story. Gosh, it was a doozy too. Someday maybe over beers. We'll talk about it. But that was my conversation with Derek Walker. What a guy. Give him some business. He doesn't have a website. Brown and Browner. I love what he said about about authenticity and um, just being yourself, you know? So get out there and be yourself and be weird. Show the world your weirdness, just like Derek did. And if you got to take a job, you know, running a store at Toys R Us or running a Pizza Hut and figuring that out, don't worry. You can always come back. Figure it out. It'll make you stronger. I think that was inspiring. Thanks for coming on, Derek. And we will see you next time. This has been The A-List, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School where you can get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, share, rate us, all that stuff. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.